and welcome back, folks, to Make Mine Multiversity, a Marvel podcast. I'm Kevin, and it seems like it's been a really long time since we've recorded a podcast episode, but it's just because 2020 seems like it's going to be a hell of a lot scarier than 2019. Uh, so much has happened in the last couple weeks, but we are here, and we are here to remind you that there are a ton of fun Marvel Comics things coming your way in the near future. Um, as a reminder, or just as an announcement, as a welcome, uh, we are hosted by MultiversityComics.com, uh, your home for all things news, reviews, and other podcasts and think, spe- think pieces that are Marvel Comics related or, or DC Comics related and other comic uh, and other fun entertainment pop culture things. If you're coming to us from Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, wherever it is that you are listening to your podcasts, uh, we're glad to have you. Please uh, subscribe and then rate and review us and let us know what you think, how we're doing. You'll find a, uh, a this podcast hosted at Multiversity in different posts. There's the comment section to all the different posts that we have. And we'd love to engage with you uh, there or on Twitter um, later. But with that, so we're looking ahead at the month of April. Uh, all of Marvel's books that they've announced for the month of April and their solicits uh, are out and revealed. Uh, first things first, before we get there, uh, how fun was the like brief little 30 seconds of Mar- uh, Marvel Studios uh, Disney Plus stuff that we saw for the Super Bowl. Everybody freaking out about the WandaVision stuff um, is uh, that seems really, really fun. Uh, it looks like it's going to be like a fun sort of sitcom y kind of thing, Brady Bunch kind of S style mixed with some probably really depressing things. Uh, we learned this week that the Falcon Winter Soldier show is definitely going to be six episodes coming out in August of this year, and WandaVision also six episodes coming out in December. So look forward to those. Um, and while Marvel has a lot of exciting shows and things coming out, they have a ton of books they've announced for the month of April. We covered a few of them back in our last episode that we recorded at the end of the month of January, those that we knew about. X-Factor and the Outlawed stuff, but there have been a number of other announcements since then. And so I'm going to break all of those down for you here and then give you sort of a, what are the things that I'm the most excited about based on the announcements and based on um, just sort of my personal preferences. You'll find on the back half of this episode, the DC3 cast boys, Brian, Vince, and Zach, as they discuss um, and review all the Dawn of X books from the last month. So if you're eager to not hear me, I guess skip ahead about 20 minutes. Uh, but with that, let's get started. So first and foremost, we talked about last episode that, um, the, uh, they had announced Marvel had announced the, uh, Leia Williams, uh, Dawn of X book. And we know that it's an X factor book. Um, and we were waiting on the Vida Ayala book that they had, um, teased, you know, forever and ever ago when they made the first announcements of the Dawn of X books. And we didn't have to wait very long because a couple days later, Marvel announced that Vita Ayala with artist Bernard Cheng, who's coming over to Marvel after a long stint doing books at DC, uh, uh, recently Batman Beyond and then Teen Titans, will be writing, will be creating a book called Children of the Atom. Uh, and it's a series that's going to feature, we think... They've uh, said it's going to be characters who are new, characters who are kind of like sidekick characters to like the main sort of five of like, you know, Cyclops and, and Jean Grey and all them. But they sort of look like it might be the first generation of the like Chimeras, as we saw in uh, House of X and Powers of Ten. Although Marvel has denied that, but that is their want. Um, looks super dope. New characters, great artists, wonderful creative team. 
this looks like it's going to be a super, super exciting book. And we're really excited and looking forward to when it comes out in April. We'll talk more about it probably then. And also maybe talk some more about it on this next episode when we get together to talk about other books that have come out in the month of February and review those. Um, moving right along, Marvel's getting ready for Black Widow to come out in May. Can you believe that that movie is actually coming out and definitely coming out sooner rather than later? Um, and with that, they are launching a new ongoing Black Widow title. The first one for, well, I guess they had a, a Black Widow title that ended up being a miniseries that the uh, Saska sisters and Flaviano um, did. Uh, and then before that, the Mark Wade, Chris Amney, Matt Wilson uh, run thing. But this run of Black Widow, written going to be written by uh, Marvel mainstay Kelly Thompson, who has been doing great work on Captain Marvel and on Deadpool. And then a new artist to Marvel Comics, a more new artist in general, uh, Elena Casagrande, who was a part of the DC Talent Program. Um, their new talent uh, program and workshops and things has been doing some work here and there at DC on books like Batgirl and then Catwoman uh, and then some other of their fun short stories. Uh, she's a fun, fluid, like diam- dynamic, the vein of all the kinds of... Uh, artists that marvel's been getting uh lately her work on catwoman has been very very fun and so um this is exciting with that there are also uh, a, a handful of black widow related one shots and a taskmaster mini mini series that is starting in april five issues written by jed mckay illustrated by alessandro vidi uh moving right along We'll go into all of the Empire sort of news and announcements that Marvel has uh, teased for April. So Empire, the event that Marvel has teased through Marvel Comics 1000 into um, the incoming one shot at the end of 2019. A lot of that is coming to a head in Empire, E-M-P-Y-R-E, because Ys are cool, I guess. Um, And it's going to pit... The Avengers and the Fantastic Four against a combined Kree Skrull Empire. Uh, we know that that main event series is being written by, co-written by Al Ewing and Dan Slott, with art by Valerio Skeedy. Uh, the covers for the well, the cover for the first issue has been released. It's a beautiful, uh, fun Jim Chung cover. But Marvel has announced a ton of tie-ins and tie-in miniseries, so get excited about those. Uh, First up, we know that the Fantastic Four book and the X-Men book will be tying into Empire. The X-Men one is, is kind of interesting because Don of X has been very self-contained uh, up into the, up to this point. And so it'll be interesting to see what will happen when Hickman and Lenel Yu have to uh, throw their story into what is going on in the larger Marvel tapestry. Um, so I'm interested in that tie-in just for, for those reasons, to see how... Uh, on the X-Men side, how the X-Men are going to engage with the wider sort of Marvel universe. Um, we have two miniseries, Empire miniseries, uh, an Empire Spider-Man uh, series, three issues written by Taron Killam, who this is his first um, miniseries thing that he's uh, written. He was one of the, is an actor formerly on Saturday Night Live. He's co-written some things at Marvel and, and, and other companies. His first solo thing illustrated by then uh, Diego Olortegu. And then, an Avengers three-issue miniseries written by Jim Zub, illustrated by Carla Magno, who's coming off Invaders. And that mini looks to be sort of covering the um, um, Agents of Wakanda kind of thing that Zub has been writing. Um, also, we're getting some one-shots 
or uh, so we're getting a Lords of Empire Empire Hulkling one shot because Hulkling is going to be a main character in this whole thing, having uh, now f- going to be filling his destiny as uniting the Korean Scroll Empire, which apparently means taking over the world and killing everyone. So that's cool, yay! Um, this one's going to be co-written by Jib by Chip, not Jib, Jesus, uh, Chip Zadarsky and Anthony Oliveira, and then illustrated by Manuel Garcia. I'm not really familiar with Garcia, but Anthony uh, Oliveira, Oliveira uh, he wrote the short, short, short um, Wiccan and Hulkling um, and Wiccan and Loki uh, story that appeared in the War of Realms, whatever the War Scrolls. That was the name of the like event anthology. That was one of the best and most fun things that came out of War of the Realms. And if you haven't read that, I encourage you to go read it. Um, and so him getting to tackle Hulkling, clearly a character that he cares a lot about, uh, is going to be kind of fun, I think. And also, again, it's fun that Marvel is testing out, as we talked about some last episode, it, it's clear that they're testing out a lot of different new talent, both writers and artists, on smaller projects, uh, building them to miniseries, and then building them from there into pot, like into new, fun, ongoing books. And it just seems like they have such a fun and big roster on the back end to do things like that now, which is exciting for 2020 and beyond. Uh, more... Um, uh, uh, one shots we have uh, an Avengers and Fantastic Four zero issue both of uh, both of them uh, the Avengers issue written by Ewing the Fantastic Four issue written by Slot who is writing the main Fantastic Four book right now the interesting about these the interesting thing about these two books it seems like is that the Avengers issue is going to be illustrated by Pepe Larraz and the Fantastic Four issue is going to be illustrated by R B Silva of course you know that both of those guys are coming off. The very successful House of X and Powers of Ten doing art, and so what that says to me as a consumer is that these books are probably going to be really important to the overall Empire story. Um, so if you're one who is going to get that event, I would probably check those out too. Plus, they're both fantastic artists. They made Multiversity's best artists of last year, um, and they're just rising stars and wonderful. Um, we're also getting an Empire Handbook, which is kind of fun if you're interested in you know data and like encyclopedic kind of things marvel has been uh in the past though not recently been good at like um releasing books like that so that people have sort of a an inroad into um events and and events like this which seems to be drawing on years and years of continuity not just the young avengers stuff but other sort of um, galactic cosmic stories that marvel published in the 90 the 80s and 90s um and tying all those together uh it's probably gonna be necessary especially for somebody like me who has a more limited knowledge of some of those things so check that out um a couple of other things series mini series and one shots so we are getting a Punisher versus Barracuda five-issue miniseries written by Ed Brisson, illustrated by Declan Shalvey, colored by Matt Lopez, which is starting in April. Uh, Barracuda, if you'll recall, is a character that, um, or a villain that Punisher uh, engaged with in Garth Ennis and Goran Parlov's um, Punisher Max series back in the uh, in the aughts when Marvel still had a their max line, which was like their mature line, almost like DC's Vertigo, but less um, like creator and stuff, more uh, just like darker, grittier, more adult takes on their heroes. So has never been featured in main continuity before. Um, this one, I am not a big Punisher fan, but I really, really like Declan Shalvey. Um, and if you're not already subscribed to his newsletter, uh, I encourage you to do so. He releases a newsletter like every other week. 
or so. It has things that he's working on. He teases projects. He has original art and stuff that he puts on there. Sometimes he has some think pieces. Uh, I think he has a podcast too that he um, promotes, which if you're into listening to comic creators talk about themselves and other comic creators, uh, I think it's called Tape Deck uh, Show. You can check that out also, but it's a fun it's a fun newsletter. I love how all the different um, writers are sort of letting us into um, their worlds now, like and thinking about like their processes, thinking about uh, characters that they want to write, thinking about other things that they're doing. It's really there's really been like an, an upsurgence of of writers doing uh, newsletters recently, um, like Chip Zdarsky and like James Hine the Fourth over at DC. So. Um, do check that out. Chalvi's a great artist. Uh, we'll probably check on the first issue, if only to see him on interiors, which uh, I guess he hasn't been on, on an interior, like done interiors on a book in, a, in probably probably like at least six months or so, which is uh, cool. He's got a, another graphic novel coming out at Image that he's co-write that he wrote actually, not co-write that he wrote. Um, so it's called Bog Body. So if you're interested in checking that out too. Um, few more things another two other miniseries that marvel is releasing there's one called werewolf by night which is going to be co-written by taboo of the black eyed peas and benjamin jackendorf uh with art by scott eaton uh this series uh so it looks to it's going to feature um a brand new uh native american superhero uh who will run into uh the other native american superhero that is famous at marvel comics uh red wolf and uh, who will be tasked to hunt him down as he will become the new uh, werewolf um, by night. Werewolf by night was a character was a character uh, originally created back in the '70s for Marvel, and so it's fun to see uh, that character come back in a new iteration in this way. Uh, lastly, we're getting another Marvel Zombies miniseries called Marvel Zombies Resurrection, written by Philip Kennedy Johnson and illustrated by Leonard Kirk. Uh, back in October of last year, they did a um marvel zombies one shot together uh that was teased to be going to be a miniseries and now the miniseries is coming out uh philip kennedy johnson he's writing the last god thing over at dc the black label uh stuff for them but he wrote this one uh annual on aquaman it looked like a year two years ago it was very good so um but Marvel Zombies is not something that I overly care about. But excited to see his you know profile grow and things. A couple more teases, one shots, and things. Um, oh, we're also getting a, a mini series. This is kind of exciting. Uh, How to read comics the Marvel way, written by Christopher Hastings, illustrated by Scott Koblish. Um, it's a sort of a going to be a guide. Mephisto and Spider Man are going to be fighting, and Mephisto is going to like trap Spider Man in a comic book, and then Spider Man is going to teach you for four issues how to read Marvel comics. Um, this might be a book for if you have friends who have never read comics before but are interested in getting into comics after seeing movies or shows or all sorts of other things people who want to learn how to read comics I think some of it's going to be about Marvel continuity which um, that's one of the questions that people always get asked um, and I've gotten asked some is like if I wanted to read comics where do I start Uh, and a lot of people their answer to that question um, is you start with Watchmen or you start with The Dark Knight Returns you start with comics getting like serious um that was what people told me to do and i don't know that that was the best thing to do um to like start getting into comics because those things are like dense dense books um and and weird like it like it's a it's one thing to like you know 
get into comics as like a craft and a whole other thing or like as a, a fancier medium or as like a you know if you're pretentious and trying to like think like oh comics is literature uh in like the that watchmen and the dark returns are our literature made comics like serious or whatever because there are a ton i didn't mean like okay uh this is a fun thing the how to read comics the marvel way um i think it could be really fun it could be you know for uh uh friends of yours who are thinking about getting into comics who've never read comics before and looking to get in comics after seeing movies television shows um it could be fun uh, i think it's going to be some about you know teaching people about marvel continuity and stuff which is always like a, a real big hassle and and, and it's in some ways in a lot of ways perhaps like a barrier for people getting into reading comics um it might be something that i definitely check out like all the older marvel continuity stuff is something that i know a lot less about uh and would love to to know more about and would love to to engage in those stories and some of the ways that I see people um, online engaging with them. Uh, also in April, the uh, prelude uh, t- uh, lead in to, a, we're getting another amazing Spider-Man uh, realm event called, apparently going to be called Sins Rising. Uh, we're getting a one shot called Sin of the same name in April written by amazing Spider-Man writer Nick Spencer with art by Kim Jacinto. Um, this seems to be the next big Amazing Spider-Man uh, event. It's going to feature this character called the the Sin Eater, who is not a character that I'm overly familiar with, but like has you know people talking. They've been doing these Amazing Spider-Man events. Um, I guess like the last two years they did the the Hunted. I think was the name of the one, and and they've been sort of smaller, more contained into Amazing Spider-Man, but still wild that a book that's almost at fifty issues. Uh, has things going forward in the larger universe but it's still kind of like contained can tell these like big big stories if you're amazing if you're a a spider-man fan an amazing spider-man fan you're following these stories and if you're not then you don't really have to but that's coming um we learned as we sort of predicted that uh the miles morales title and the miss marvel title are tying into the outlawed event which is coming um in april outlawed is this uh starting with this one shot in march written by this can be written by e-viewing with art by um uh kim jacinto uh and it's gonna feature sort of a civil war kind of story in the marvel universe but with the teenagers where the teen heroes in the marvel universe are going to be outlawed but joining writer saladin ahmed on the uh, miles morales spider-man book is going to be artist carmen carnero who's coming off captain marvel um so very excited about that because she's a great artist uh last but not least we learned the next topic of the giant size x-men one shots will be nightcrawler and nightcrawler in april is getting a one shot written by again by hickman this time illustrated by uh legendary and acclaimed artist uh, alan davis who did a long run with kurt when kurt was part of excalibur uh, a while ago so get hyped about that all right, that's a lot of news. To break down, um, sort of the top five things that I'm looking forward to the most in April, taking in all of the things that we've just talked about and looking at the solicits um, themselves. First and foremost, uh, Empire is going to begin. Um, we'll cover it here on this episode. We'll bring you sort of what's going on in Empire World and break down what we think of that event. Um, there are two issues coming out in April, the first two issues, issues one and two of a six-issue miniseries Um 
and those two zero issues. I think for for myself, I'll I'll probably read those two issues and the two zero issues, and probably leave the tie-ins, uh, the rest of the tie-ins out, maybe except the the, the Hulkling one. Um, that kind of seems like what's going to be necessary to enjoy this event, but we'll follow that when we come. We mentioned Outlawed a second ago, and the um, three Outlawed books launching with this new era, which we talked about last episode, Champions, New Warriors, and Power Pack all come out in April. The Champions book, written again by Eve Ewing, illustrated by Simone de Medio, spinning out of that Outlawed one-shot coming out in March, also written by Ewing, is the one of those that I'm looking forward to the most, because I really, really like what Eve Ewing's been doing uh, at Marvel Comics. Um, We talked some about Children of the Atom and X-Factor, uh, when the Dawn of X books were announced, um, and they mentioned that Leah Williams and Vida Ayala might have Dawn of X books coming, that was when I was the most excited because they are two writers at Marvel Comics who have just been doing great, great work. Um, but other things in the Dawn of X realm, uh, the X-Men Fantastic Four book, which is four issues that crossover, um, started this week. The first issue was very good. We'll talk more about it in a couple weeks. Um, it ends in April, the fourth issue comes out. Uh, and in Excalibur, in my favorite Don of X book that is coming out right now, there's a new arc, and it looks like Britain and Krakoa are going to war. So something, something, Brexit joke, insert here. Take that how you want it. Um, another one shot that we didn't talk about, but uh, Marvel's been doing this lately. They've been publishing a lot of, of, of just sort of like random one shots in different months. Uh, maybe priming the pump for different creative teams, older creative teams who are coming back to a character, newer creative teams, yada, yada, yada. Uh, Jeff Lemire, who has not done a lot of Marvel work in probably the last two or three, four years, um, is doing a one-shot called Immortal Hulk, The Threshing Place with artist Mike Del Mundo, who, uh, whose last work was um, c- capping off uh, Jason Aaron's Thor run in the, the main Thor title. Uh, two creators who, um, I mean, Lemire, who writes and draws himself, has kind of like a weird art style, which fits more with Del Mundo's, and two creators who like just seem like a really fun pairing. And getting to play with uh, Immortal Hulk, which is one of the best books coming out at Marvel right now. So look forward to that. Last but not least, um, Venom reaches 25 issues in April. Uh, for those of you that are listening that don't know the things about Venom, why that's exciting about Venom. Uh, it's not a book that I have been keeping up with, keeping up with, but uh, it's been one of Marvel's best-selling and sort of um, highest-reviewed books. Donnie Cates and Ryan Stegman, um, and right currently right now, Cates and, and Mark Bagley, who's a legendary Spider-Man and, and has done some Venom stuff, artist. Um, uh, it's creating big, big things. Uh, you know, they, they just ended the Absolute Carnage event, and then now they're doing this arc, which is apparently leading into more stuff. So Venom has been kind of a centerpiece of the Marvel Universe, at least for the last couple of years. So if you're looking ahead to things that are coming probably in 2020, this is probably a good place to look. Whew. Okay, that was a lot of content. A lot of news, a lot of, a lot of things. Marvel's got a lot of books coming out in April. Uh, and we are going to be your home for guiding you through the most important and most exciting ones. Um, stay tuned after the break to listen to the DC three boys break down Don of X things. Uh, you can find me on Twitter, Kevin Gregory at KB Gregory 13. And we'll be back in two weeks to review some of Marvel's biggest books from 
the end of January and the beginning of February. So we'll see you then. Hello, everybody. My name is Mike. And I'm Greg. And together we are Robots from Tomorrow, a twice-weekly podcast appearing at MultiversityComics.com. Each week we take some time to check out books and shelves on Wednesday that are worth your attention. And each month we dissect the previous catalog. We also have long-form discussions about books we've enjoyed like Dan Clow's Ghost World and Jack Kirby and Mike Royer's Commandy. And if that's not enough, we also do creator interviews. Some of the talks you'll find in our archives feature Mike Mignola, Leila Del Duca, Sean Martinborough, Emma Beebe, and Greg Rucka. So that's a lot of content for everybody. Please subscribe. Subscribe to Robots from Tomorrow in iTunes or Stitcher so you never miss a thing. Robots from Tomorrow has hours of comic-focused entertainment week in and week out. And now, back to your show. Welcome back, Marvel listeners, to Imagine If Stan Lee Created the DC3 Cast. I am Brian. With me, as always, are Zach and Vince. We're going to recap January's X-Books for you. And we're going to do so in a bit of a different way this week. So we've been doing rankings at the end of the show, but we're going to rank the books in the beginning and the way we do this on the dc3 cast is we um we say things like uh, you know if number six if my number six is zach's number four he'll say you know oh we'll talk about that one later so we talk about the books at their highest point and we're just going to talk about the last two issues of each of these books for the most part um but you know obviously there is some there's some baked in residual thoughts from the first few issues so You'll understand what's happening once it starts happening. So, Vince, what is your number six book? A Fallen Angels. Zach, what is your number six book? It is also Fallen Angels. And it is also Fallen Angels for me. Um, I will say, I think the last two issues were the best two issues of Fallen Angels. And I thought it ended better than it began. Uh, Do you guys agree or disagree with that statement? I think I disagree. Thanks, Adam um, Sandler. Yeah. <laughs> I do the voice again. Go for it, Vince. <laughs> I disagree. Even if that's not even close to how he says it in the film, <laughs> that's how he says it in my head. So I appreciate it. Yeah, exactly. I know. I know. <laughs> I keep dragging it out longer and longer every time I do you it. Bozos. Uh,. Well, Zach, I'm going to let you go first, but I, I just want to say, as usual, I fall somewhere between the two of you. <laughs> Zach. Fair enough. Okay. Well, you know, I think I talked about how much I liked that first issue and how promising I thought it was. And I really felt like these last two issues, number five and six. Um, well, OK, I'm off two minds. I... Reading them, I felt like I was missing something. Like maybe there is some depth that I am not plumbing or like there there's some greater meaning there that it is in the text that I'm not appreciating. But mm-hmm. I ultimately felt like the last two issues were very anticlimactic not very satisfying or fulfilling in any meaningful way i thought it was kind of strange how they brought in husk and bling and did nothing with them um and i i just i i felt like so much of the resolution was telling rather than showing and i I just I I don't really understand what the point of this this mini was honestly. 
I, it left me very cold. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Go offense. Okay, so yeah, I totally agree with you, and and you're not missing anything because what what you're talking about as far as like is there supposed to be some greater meaning here or not? Uh, I I don't really think so. I think basically everything having to do with uh, the torrential history of Psylocke's character or what's going on in her psyche ends up as nothing but platitudes on the page. A lot of it is just like, oh, it's just her dramatically like narrating about all she's overcome or being an being an empty husk and having to make some something of herself or something like it's all platitudes. It's a similar thing that uh, that um, Brian Hill has done in his past work, but to much greater effect. Like even over in uh, Batman and the Outsiders, and I hate to cross streams here, but um, <laughs> but in that book, there's a lot of uh, what's going on in Black Lightning's head, what's going on in Katana's head. Sure. Lots of lots of character work, lots of hangups. But they're worked out between like Duke, you know, Duke Thomas and Cass. But it's all worked out between the characters, and there's a real back and forth and a push and pull. Here, it's mostly just Psylocke and Psylocke's own head and reflections, and it comes off as very empty. It comes off a lot emptier in this book than it does in some of his other works. And um, well, and I'm a huge fan of him as a writer, but I just think that the mostly introspection that we're getting here, it fell flat for me. Well, may I suggest two things? First of all, is it that you don't know this iteration of Psylocke as well as you know the other characters you're talking about, and so you have an easier pathway into their heads? I mean, maybe, but I think I really do think it is on the page, too. In, well, but my other in... point was going to be, I think that's sort of the point, actually. Yeah. And, you know, I, I, I definitely agree that it's not as emotionally resonant as some of his other work that does go introspective like this. But I think that the character doesn't know really who she is without Betty, Betsy rather, like in inside her, you know what I mean? And so yeah. I feel like she is she's a bit of an empty husk and that comes through on the page. And that's not a criticism for the for the writing rather than just the writing is serving the character. Yeah. Well, I think it's almost a, it's almost, you almost hamstring the book by, you know, the, the decision to split up Psylocke makes sense and is, is potentially really interesting. But I think, spoiler alert for how I feel about Excalibur, the stuff that they're doing with Betsy now is, you know, 10 times more interesting than what Psylocke ended, you know. Sure, but I mean, ended up being. But I mean, you know, to, to keep it Marvel here, if there was a situation where there was one book that was anchored by the Hulk and one anchored by Bruce Banner, the Banner one would be the more interesting story because Banner is a more interesting character. I want to see Hulk smash. Of course, you want to see Hulk smash. You, you, <laughs> no, understand, you, you understand what I'm saying. Yes, right? I do. I do. Yes. Yep. Yeah, but I, I don't think that, like, uh, like, Quanon or I, I assume that's how you pronounce it. Q-on. Um, 
yeah, I don't think QAnon is like an uninteresting character on paper, but I think the I, I think that of the two books, Excalibur definitely does a better job of relating Betsy to the reader. I, I feel like yes, and a lot of this is art. Unfortunately, I think art. I think the biggest failing is with the art honestly Mm -hmm. and and kind of fleshing out her past it's just so obtuse and murky and and kind of impenetrable in a lot of ways and um then like pair that with a, a story that is um also just not very emotionally resonant a character who I even, you know, Vince, you mentioned kind of the the like drama, the, gra- the, the the kind of like empty gravitas with all of her her platitudes that even gets referenced. I think in the fifth issue by either Husk or, or Bling One, you know, they make a comment of, of like, is she always as dramatic? Um, it, it just comes off as to me like really hollow, especially compared to what is being done with Betsy over in Excalibur. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I don't disagree with any of that. I just think that 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 first issue did have some some oomph to it, but then it fell really flat in the middle. And I felt well, that the last few issues did a nice job of contextualizing not just these characters, but sort of what they were up against. Whereas I feel like the first for the, in the for, for a while in the middle there, I was just like, "What the fuck are they fighting against?" Well, I still kind of feel so. I think one of the things I like most about the first issue was that like Apoth seemed like an interesting concept. It seemed to build on kind of the more like fear of the machine and the, the, you know, the kind of next level of humanity that house of X and powers of 10 had kind of seeded. Um, but as the series went on, just Apoth was not an interesting or compelling villain at all. Um, at least to me. Yeah. And and I felt like that the you know kind of like culmination of their the, their confrontation didn't uh, didn't really mean much because I, it also I I thought that I thought that we were being led to believe that 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 Psylocke's child was somehow involved with Apoth or connected to Apoth, but that doesn't really seem to be the case. Yeah, I, I don't, I honestly don't know. Um, yeah, I, I, I feel like I forgot all that. <laughs> yeah, I, well, uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I guess that. So, yeah. So, and I remember pushing back on this idea that, like, yes, this was a machine, you know, tech uh, a based villain, but I remember pushing back on the idea that it actually meant anything in relation to what Hickman had set up. And I kind of, I kind of, right. I was going to say, I kind of feel vindicated because it just seemed so, it seemed like, yes, okay, it's, it is a machine based villain. It is a threat of a machine future, but it felt like the way, the way that Oracle in back again, I'm crossing streams here, guys. I'm sorry. That the Oracle, the, the, the Oracle villain in Batgirl right now is just another, uh, oh, hey, I'm the internet except I've come to life, you know, character. 
And that's all that this felt like, too. It didn't feel like it had any true connection to what Hickman was setting up in the House of X, Powers of Ten, uh, Maxi, whatever you want to call that. Um, Mm -hmm. And and that disappointed me that it just ended up feeling like a one-off kind of nothing techno villain. But... But to tell you guys why I came between the two of you as far as like how I feel about this is that, Brian, issue five, definitely, when I read that and she was getting the team together and they were all uh, getting behind her and supporting her, you know, like that whole like getting a band back together feel of that issue, I thought now we're getting somewhere, you know, oh, this is great. This is what I want to read. This is what I want an X-Men book to be. And then I remembered that issue six was the last issue (laughs) and kind of all that goodwill and the good feelings and the buildup kind of fell away. And it really did because like Zach already mentioned, the team that she put together more or less took a backseat. They they had a role to play here and there, but for the most part, it just, the issue six just felt like the issues that came before five yet again. Um, and and Zach, you I I think you couldn't be more right when you say that the the art really hampered this, especially compared to basically any of the other Dawn of X books. It's just it's operating as a different style of art, and not every not every book has to be from the same sort of house style or whatever. But um, when you're talking about an X Men book that that becomes a team book by the end the art just really doesn't serve that team dynamic. Again, it feels very cold, isolated. Um, yeah, just just uh, the images are all so cold to me. I mean, again, like I, I, I come off like the defender of this book, even though I don't particularly care <laughs> for this book, but I feel like perhaps that is supposed to be some sort of meta commentary on like Psylocke's mental state. Just her her feeling isolated. You know, again, I'm I'm. Well, I I feel like it would have made a lot more sense. Kudransky as an art choice would have made more sense if this book was more, uh, was taking place more on, on like a digital or like cyberistic plane or something. You know, if this book was less physical and more psychological. If this book was the Fraser Irving Batman Incorporated issue. <laughs> I actually think it, yeah, that or even like the actual Batman Inc. issue that they were like inside a computer program. That's the one I'm talking about. No, it's that not, wasn't a Fraser Irving. Did he do the cover for that? Maybe is that what I'm thinking of? He did lots of covers, uh, but maybe he did the uh, cover yeah, for that one. Uh, okay. But no. Uh, no, it was some other artist who like only does like he, he he's like I think known for that particular style. Uh, um, I don't think it was the same person who did the Doom Patrol one though. I think it's someone no. else, but um. But yeah, that's the that's the one I was I was talking about. Um, if it had been reboot, um, <laughs> yes. Um, then <laughs> if Dan DiDio was writing it, okay. Um, but yeah, that I think that would have been a better fit. Yeah, I agree with that. All right, um, let's move on to number five books. What is uh, what is your number five, Vince? My number five is X-Force. We'll talk about that later. Okay, my number five is X-Force. Zach, what is your number five? 
Uh, per usual, my number five is Marauders. We'll talk about that way later. Come on. Ready for my number four? Uh, Yes, I am. New Mutants. My number four is also New Mutants. We'll talk about that much later. (laughs) (laughs) If it's only only 75% of a great book, is it really a great book? We'll talk about it. I have my reasons. I have my reasons. Okay. All right. Uh, What's your number three, Vince? Well, what's X four? X got my four is X four, so we we okay. can uh, about, okay. we okay, talk sorry. about it. Yeah. All right. Um, I think I was the highest on this book the last time we spoke, and I still think that there are some good parts of this book. To me, this is the only book that I guess we'll leave uh, Fallen Angels aside for a second of the ongoing ones that are going to keep going. I feel like this is the one that has done the least interesting things with the Krakoan status quo. Like this this book would be not would not be that different if if it took if it was set a year before this and there wasn't sort of the Krakoan aspect of it. I think that oh. I think I would push back on that pretty hard, but finish your thoughts. Well, okay. I, I mean, obviously, the setting does influence it a bit, and there'd be slight differences. And the whole thing about like Charles is assassination, which I do want to talk. You about. guys, you guys had the same argument last time. <laughs> yeah, I think we did. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, I, but maybe we came at it from different angles actually, because I feel like I feel like I like this book less now because of this. So maybe we were saying the opposite thing last time. Um, now I liked this book last time too. I think. Uh, yeah, I, I guess I just feel like this is this is kind of your boilerplate X Force book, and it's not bad. It's not bad at all, actually. Um, but you know, it's just not. I, I think the other books are a lot more interesting right now. I I will agree with you that other books are maybe are more interesting. Definitely, I think the thing that keeps me coming to, back to this book is it's, in my opinion, like the most important of the books right now in a lot of ways, um, particularly with stuff that happens in issue six, which I do. I want to like talk about that a lot. Um, but this like, this book is doing some really wild stuff. You know, it's, it's playing with the status quo in like really interesting ways with like, uh, the stuff with Domino is really interesting. I think. I think um, the way they have the role that like Forge is playing with all the like Krakoan <laughs> stuff. Um, uh, he he wears like a like a uh, like a Gundam suit at one point. <laughs> He's basically yeah, the brain a, inside of Krang. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, the Black Tom stuff is really interesting to me, and that's a character that I feel like would not have had this place, you know, pre, pre Don of X. He's pretty interesting. Um, What else was that? Who else? There was one other character I felt like I wanted to mention. Um, uh, Maybe not. I'm not sure. Um, Just using the, the kind of Don of X status quo to, really sort of changed the mandate of an X-Force book. I mean, at at the end of the issue four, the last issue that we talked about before this, and, and kind of where this issue picks up, like this issue 
begins with like Wolverine separated in half and like and uh, Quentin Quire decapitated and and just doing wild things that you know an X Force book even would not be able to do previously. Um, so I, I and and just the way that this is moving the line forward in you know say issue six where we get the introduction of these organic. Omega Sentinels, which yeah. is a big. Why don't you go off on House that? Of okay, yeah. So I mean, like that—that's like a really that feels like one of the most significant revelations post Hawksbox to me, um, in terms of where things are heading and where things could potentially head. I and a plot point that I would have expected maybe to show up in X Men. Um, also, Beast is just. Um, Beast is Fraser Crane. Yeah, <laughs> sure. Yeah. Um, well, it, Beast if, is actually if, one if of my. Fraser Crane. Go ahead, Scott. Scott, this is the worst idea yeah. you've ever had. <laughs> I mean, Charles is definitely the dad. Um, <laughs> is Wolverine Eddie the dog? <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, yeah. Why not? Sure. So who is sure. who is who is his um. Who oh, is, man, I don't know. I don't know Frazier that well okay, to go well, much to go much deeper than this. Uh, I'll just say Domino is his Roz, and we'll move on. Um, there you go. Okay, fair <laughs> enough. Well, my one issue with this is that I feel like this is the 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 least. Um, it's funny. The word I was going to go for was humane, but that has human in it. And I, I don't want to use that. I don't want to slander a mutant by calling him human. But I feel human. like. I feel like Beast is is not this mercenary. At least the Beast I've read. Again, I have I have taken long breaks in my X Men readership, but I feel like this is an odd role for Beast to be playing. This is a Beast I, that has seen some shit. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> I I could. Th- yeah. This is my read on this, and maybe this is a little bit of a stretch, but that you know the the status quo has kind of moved everyone a few ticks ahead in terms of what they will do and the links they'll go to and like just thinking in the in the kind of like previous era of x-men comics you know beast was also very reckless in his actions you know he did the whole um time travel shenanigans that messed a lot of stuff up and was the cause of much ire um in, in x-men stories so i think beast being a bit of a loose cannon and going way too far has precedent okay um this is really extreme though <laughs> <laughs> yeah um the other thing i was gonna say is about issue six in particular to me like one of the th- one of the things that uh i guess we should sort of peel back the curtain here a little bit uh, i had to read all of these comics today <laughs> And so when you're reading a lot of these books, I think sometimes you tend to skim the infograph stuff for the books that typically don't do the more interesting infographic stuff because you're just, you know, whatever. But the Charles's confession in here is the most interesting thing in the X-Force comic so far to me. I I would agree with that, yeah. The idea that he essentially took a hit out on himself in order to get mutant kind to be united behind this cause 
is, mm-hmm. I mean, it's not all that surprising, I guess, given the Xavier that we've seen in in this book, you know. Um, but it's just, it's a it's a pretty extreme take. <laughs> Vince, what did you think of that revelation? Yeah, but everything you said. I don't really have anything to add about it. Zach. Uh, yeah, I, I also agree, and it kind of, I mean, I guess we don't have all the details yet, but it's also kind of implied that, I guess it was, like, Beast who, like, reached out, and it, it, I guess it's almost kind of implied that Beast is setting all of this up and may have even been, we don't know if, like, all these groups are connected, but he could have been responsible for, like, what happened to Domino, which is kind of icky. I... I I don't really know. It's 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 a dark place, I guess. And and that's that's an interesting note too because I've seen um, some people online who have kind of I guess like derided some of um, Hickman's like expressed or implied politics, especially I think like after the fourth issue of X Men, the one where they had the uh, meeting um, of all the world leaders and everything and. And I feel like a lot of people are still working under the assumption that the X-Men are supposed to be the good guys and, and rooted for. And, and I, I feel like Hickman is giving us nothing to to stand on that or to, mm-hmm. to think that at this point. You know, I, I don't know why people are still kind of... He is he and the other writers are kind of telling us every, uh, the exact opposite at every chance they have. So... Um, which could color your view of the book, definitely, but or the line. But th- this definitely seems to do a lot of that. Yeah. Um, and also, I I still I really like Joshua Kassara's art. Um, missed him a little bit on the sixth oh. issue. Segovia was fine, but um, I I do really like Kassara's art. Yeah, I think that's what that's what landed. I mean. What really lands X Force in the fifth spot for me is just that I like the other four books so much, mm-hmm. and this one just this one just kind of wriggles its way down to five. Um, but if I had to put a pin in like the exact reason why I would put it there uh, it, this month when we're talking about it, it would be that issue five had the Joshua Kassara art and issue six had Segovia, and no offense to Segovia, I've enjoyed his work. In other avenues, uh, it's perfectly fine work. It's not Kassara, though. Kassara's art has been special. And it's been tonally perfect for the X-Force book up until now. And I don't... Again, no offense, but Segovia is just plug-and-play where you need a a fill-in type guy. Yeah, I'll say he was... He's better than that. He can uh, be. He has been. This issue felt kind of a little lackluster. Um, I, I didn't think he is the main artist on Hellions, right? I believe so, yes. Um, yeah. I'll say I didn't particularly care for his beast in this issue, but I thought he did a good job overall. Yeah. Um, all right. Uh, so that was Zach's number four book. Mm-hmm. So, Vincey, what's your number three book? X-Men. That is also my number three book. <laughs> That's also my number three book. Okay. Oh, oh my. 
Brian, I, have you and I been the same thus far? We or? have been, yes. I, I have a wow. feeling our top two are going to be swapped, but yes, I um, think maybe so. But that's okay. Um, so yeah, for X Men, I, I think that part of the part of the the reason the X Men falls to this spot for me is that there is less of a straight story being told in X Men. I think all the issues have been really good. But when I think about like what the book is, there's not as easy of a, oh, it's the book where they're on the ship. Or it's the book where they're f- fighting, you know, wh- wh- where it's about the Captain's Britain. Like, there's just, there's not a an easy to follow. And that, that doesn't, I don't want to say it, it's confusing. You understand what I'm saying, though? There, there's not yes. as clear a theme to the book. There's not a through line, yeah. There's yeah. not a, yeah. there's not a elevator and, pitch. Right. And there's also less of it. You know, we yes. only got one issue this month and mm-hmm. it was a great issue. Oh, yeah. Or be Silva back on art um, and, and con- continuing the children of the vault stuff, which is really interesting stuff um, and, and doing interesting stuff with um you know, Act 23, now Wolverine, and in a month where she kind of languished a bit in um, Fallen Angels, and um, and then all the stuff with um, Sync in the in the infographic pages was really kind of haunting and unsettling. <laughs> um, so that stuff was all really good, I think, but. Yeah, just being the one issue and being kind of disconnected from everything else too, I, I would agree, hurt it a little bit. I'll also say that this is the fr- I feel like the character that I noticed being really different in the first issue, I think it was of House of X? In the Franklin Richards scene, we were talking about how cold Cyclops was and how like mechanical he was in some ways. And I feel like this issue is the first we've seen him anything other than, like, the truest of true believers. Mm, because mm-hmm. he's doubting what he did here, you know? Um, mm. And I really, I, I enjoy just beginning to give Scott a little more nuance. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Haunting is a very good uh, term for this, because I... I did. I read this issue and I felt very uneasy the entire time. And I think that was the point. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, I think if there is a through line, well, I, I won't go so far as to say that, but, but one thing that, that, that the Dawn of X and the Hickman X-Men books in particular have been so good at is something you guys kind of alluded to in our X-Force talk, which is that, you know whether the X Men are the good guys or the bad guys or they're or hey they're just a country they they operate the way now that any country does you know mm-hmm. they have fasci- fascist aspects to them and they also have you know there's um, they contain multitudes right, right? Mm. Hickman is so good and this issue is a, a great uh, example of it where they're they're feeling their way through and they're making choices that they aren't sure are the right ones and they can potentially you know we've seen it in the alternate futures that we've got in the very early x-men stuff but like you see how all these 
decisions they make have these wider ramifications that are very haunting, you know. And sometimes you don't sometimes you don't get to see those ramifications or sometimes they're only hinted at or whatever, but they're there. And so I like I mean some of the books have a clear villain, you know, but I, I, I like that the overall Hickman narrative so far doesn't have any one villain. There's not any big bad, you know. Yeah. It's the big bad is the perils that come with establishing and maintaining uh, a country or a civilization or whatever, you know, and that's a really big idea that doesn't specifically apply to this issue, but this issue is a, a little piece of that, you know? Yeah. What I was going to say is it seems to be like the villain of X-Men is humanity, <laughs> you know? Is yeah. Non-mutants. Well, yes, yeah. that's yes. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Good. Good point. Anything else to say about this book? Not necessarily. Um, good to have Silva back, though. Absolutely. All right, Vince, what is your number two? My number two is Marauders. Well, we'll talk about that later. <laughs> uh, Zach, what is your number two? My number two is Excalibur. Ooh, we'll talk about that later. Uh, my number two is Excalibur as well. Okay. We'll talk about that later. We'll so, talk about that later, I guess. Yeah. So, uh, Vince, what is your number one? My number one is Excalibur. Yeah, let's talk about Excalibur. I freaking love <laughs> Excalibur. I love this book. Um, I mean, it and Marauders are really neck and neck, you know. Um, but. I love the cast of Excalibur. I'm a huge mark for Gambit and Rogue <laughs> in particular. Um, but I love what they're doing with Richter. And that's a that's a character that I was really not all that familiar with before we started this. Richter, Richter in my mind, was always just this, like, also, also ran background character, right? And they're... Mm. They're really doing, at least in the stories I've read, which is, you know, are very few, I've very few Richter stories. Um, But just what they're what what they're doing with Apocalypse, kind of manipulating him, um, using his, you know, uh, behavioral health, mental state of mind, you know, as 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 a as a weakness, Um, and and Gambit kind of tagging along and maybe being a balance to that kind of pulling him in a different direction, but not real, not intentionally just kind of by being Gambit, you know, um, kind of going along for the ride. Uh, and the, 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 the romance stuff between Rogue and Gambit, uh, issue six is in particular is very horny, <laughs> <laughs> uh, which is good. Um, and, and, and what I really want to say about Excalibur, which is going to find me crossing the streams again, is that by the end of this opening arc, it really became it's it's kind of a, a war on magic type thing where there, it's it's Apocalypse and this Excalibur team versus Morgan Le Fay and the the the, the other world team, and it's the, some of the imagery and some of the thematics were very similar to justice league dark the the run that's going on right now over at dc except this is way better 
there's oh yeah yeah for me there's there's more personality um there's layers to this it's not all about the 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 fiction it's a lot of it is about the relationships um and plus like pretty much every character that got put into this book they're they're like all within my sphere of like favorite x-men characters and they're and they're all being written really well i think by by teeny howard so the one thing i will and marcus toe it looks fantastic too it's a fantastic looking book you you know we're all the marcus toe boys from his red robin era absolutely Um, we'll mention that every time yes we will uh but what i was going to say is the one thing i'll say the justice league dark has that this doesn't is detective chimp Yeah, Shogo uh, is Horn, cool, uh, but he's Horny, no uh... Horny, Horny Gambit is Detective Chip. <laughs> Mon ami. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I think that the reason that this is number two for me instead of number one is I did not like the first few issues of this as much as you guys did. I thought they were good, but I guess it was issue four that really sold me, and five and six were both incredible. So yeah, I mean, this is... This is as close to a 1A as I can give it right now. Uh, yeah. There is so much good stuff happening. Like, you didn't even mention all the family drama in the Braddock family. Oh, no, like, no. That's great, too. And it's that really fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think Apocalypse, I, I wish we knew how to pronounce his name properly so we could give him <laughs> the respect he, he requires. Um, but I think Apocalypse is such a well-written character in this book. He's he's both terrifying and surprisingly trustworthy at times, and then he stabs you in the back right away, but you're never quite sure what's going on. He's just he's there's so many layers to Apocalypse in this book. It's fantastic. And and he's dissecting Morgan Le Fay at the end of this. And it specifically <laughs> says it is not an autopsy because she is very much alive. Yeah, yes. Yeah. Yeah. So Zach, why do you um, hate this book? I don't <sighs> Point number two. Um, so really quick before I get into that, since you're talking about the, the grimoire page at the end of this issue, I had meant to, to do this beforehand to translate those uh, names and see who he's referring to there. Um, the Omega level mutant that he has listed is, is Monarch Jamie Braddock. Um, the mutate assistant of advanced age is Exodus. And the uh, components of something else, hold on, um, is, I think it's Krakoa. Yeah, it's Krakoa. Okay. So, who knows what that means. Um, No, I love this book. It's so good. Um, It, uh, I'm, I'm consistently impressed with how smartly and like adequately it uses and like justifies each cast member um compare that to another book that i think we critiqued for this reason uh which was marauders which i think that it is now kind of justifying its cast a little bit more but i think when we first talked about it we at least in those like first two issues we specifically mentioned that its cast felt a little bit less well-defined and more just convenient um whereas this like each character plays a very specific role um 
in a really interesting way, uh, especially Richter, who, you know, you mentioned is kind of just like an also ran who is now like this cool druid character. <laughs> I almost hope he changes his code name to druid. That would be nice. Um, rather than Richter. Um, but yeah, all of the Braddock stuff is really interesting. Um, I think the where this arc leaves the three Braddock siblings is super interesting. I'm definitely in for that. Um, I think the thing that keeps this being uh, from from being number one for me is um, just in terms of like magical realist genre. You know, this kind of like modern day magic. It's just like not really my favorite genre. It's just a little off-putting to me. Um, and then this, except I feel like this book is going to end up being really important to the, the overall like Dawn of X cosmology eventually. But right now it feels really detached. And, and as someone who is like in this line, because I'm like really interested in like Hickman's meta story or whatever, for that reason, I'm a little less interested in, in this arc, at least right now. I can definitely understand that. Um, that's how I felt more after the first issue or two. I feel differently. Mm -hmm. now. That's fair. Because I I, after this arc, I can see... I can see the kind of horizon of where this could go, but it's still just not quite there yet. Sure. Um, so, uh, my number Wait, one... Before what? before we move on, can I do one more Gambit thing? Sure. sure. I watched the first episode of uh, the X-Men animated series from the 90s. And the first episode has an incredible Gambit moment where he's uh, look, he's like showing his cards to some uh, lady at a at a store at the mall or something, <laughs> and she 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 says something like, "You must like playing with cards." He's like flipping his cards around or whatever, and the cashier says that. And Gambit goes, "I like solitaire, okay? That is, unless I got someone to play with." <laughs> And he says it exactly like that. It's so good. It's such a horny line reading. It's amazing. <laughs> I just had to bring it up. We we are we are the horny podcast this week, apparently. Hey, nah. <laughs> well, X Men is the horny line, so that it is really true. is that historically. Is that's yeah, and especially now, adjoining rooms. That's all I'm going to say. Adjoining <laughs> Ooh, rooms. Yeah. Um, all right, so my number one is Marauders, which Zach hates for no good reason. And I um, have plenty of good reasons. It's uh, it's just okay. It's fine. Oh boy. Uh, no, I I love this book. I think it is by far the most. First of all, it is the book with the most stakes uh, because of Kitty's or Kate rather Kate's um you know, inability to to use the gates and potentially the inability to be resurrected. She's the only character that we've encountered that if she's killed she may she may just be gone. And that that is not hap that that is that is a key part of this book. Um I I would push back on that a little bit 
only because of the thing that X-Men does this month where it kind of puts not not in that they couldn't be brought back, but it puts the three characters who go into the vault into a similar kind of state of uh you know, they're they're like Schrodinger's X-Men. Are they alive? Are they dead right now? We don't they're know. Both. We can't bring them back. Yeah. yeah. Um oh, oh okay, but I care about Kate four thousand percent more than I care about any of those other characters. Well, see, that's the thing. I just don't I just don't have that I don't have that kitty connection, you know? <laughs> uh, uh I'm gonna leave that one kitty. alone. Yeah, I'll, 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 I'll let the listener make their own uh, comments there. Um, I also think that this book, I, I'm really enjoying the sort of uh, black market aspects of this book. I think this is this is the book that is asking the questions that maybe are least important to the main story on Krakoa, but are most important to how Krakoa fits into the rest of the world. Uh, X-Men does that a little bit, too. But I think that this book just just consistently is asking the question of like what is what is Krakoan medicine and the gates and everything else? What does that mean for the rest of the world? And I find that stuff very interesting. Um, and I I adore this cast. This you know Vince said that uh, Excalibur is like his his dream X Men cast. Like th- this is this is pretty close to mine. Yeah, those are I, all fine reasons to like that book. This book. <laughs> One thing I'll add is uh, the Sebastian Shaw stuff at the end of Marauders issue six mm-hmm. is the best end of arc uh, sort of moment or cliffhanger that we got when he essentially tries to drown. Uh, Kate and Lockheed and is going to replace her quiet council seat mm-hmm. with Shinobi. That's such a great moment. Like that, that is such a classic cliffhanger and it played out really well in a really thrilling way. Um, I thought the dramatics of that bit were extremely good. Yeah, I agree with that. He basically tied her to the train tracks. Yeah, <laughs> but well, I mean, she's life, definitely so. gonna live, though. <sighs> Zach, that's the like. I don't think there really are any stakes here because even like they're gonna figure out what's wrong with her. She probably is a scroll, uh, oh. like Vince said, and uh, I I don't know. I'm I don't. I just don't have very much investment in this book. I don't I don't think it's nearly as interesting as any of the other books. I don't love the cast as much as some of the other books, especially the one I'm going to talk about here in a little bit. And um, yeah, it's just it's my number five. All right, uh, Zach, tell us what your incorrect number one is. My very correct number one is New Mutants, um, and I have good reasons. All right, give us the good reasons. One is because it's actually two books, which are both very good and a lot of fun. 
I like that. I really do enjoy the fact that it is like jumping around like this. Also, uh, Rod Reyes is the best artist on the Dawn of X line right now. Oh wow! Um, he's in up my there opinion, for sure. Up, he's up. He, he's my number one. Um, okay. All right. I think that this is the better of the two Hickman X books. I think that the issues that Hickman does are have been better than the main X-Men book. I think the new the the new mutants cast, um, you know, the the traditional new mutants are what um, Excalibur the Excalibur cast is for Vince and the the Marauders cast are for Brian. They're that for me. I just really really like that cast a lot. Um, like especially. Um, you know, I really like magic. I really like um, Cannonball and um, what is what is Roberto's code name? Is it Black Spot? No, that's not right. Sunspot. 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 That's right. Yeah, that's right. Wow, some um, fan you. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I well, I just I just blank. He almost never know, uses his code name yeah, yeah. Um, anymore. Um, you know, just carrying them over from from the adventures drawn i really like having chamber on here he um when we were like doing or when i was like getting like really pumped for the hawkspock stuff i was reading some old x-men and i read uh joe casey's uncanny x-men run and chamber featured really prominently in that and so it's like fun to see him getting carried over here um and like I, I know that some people famously hate the Shi'ar, but I like, and I love if anytime the Shi'ar are here, and I'm I'm here for the Shi'ar 100. Um, percent Somewhere so I, in Virginia, I'm, Walter Richardson just took off his sunglasses because there's clear, clearly shade uh, covering him right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He uh, he's dialing five five five. Come on, right now, right now. Right <laughs> <me>. um, <laughs> Uh, like I, I love that stuff. And, um, again, this is me just being like a continuity horror. And like, like I said, I really like all the Hickman meta narrative, but the fact that this is carrying over stuff from his Avengers run and is also going to dovetail, we know from solicits into the main X-Men book here in a few issues. I, I'm just very much in for this. Um, and then the second story, the Brisson one I thought was also really good. Um, I thought it wrapped up in a really sad yet satisfying way. Uh, I thought the bit with the two new mutants, um, um, what is it, Maxime and uh, I can't remember the other. They're both M uh, names. It's another M, yeah, yeah. Um, they call them the kids a bunch it. of times. Uh, yeah, they just it's uh, Maxime and Manon. Yeah, or Manon. Um, I thought that Manon, I Manon. thought that was really good. Like this is the only book that has really kind of dealt with. And I mean, it's in the title, so it makes sense, but the, the newer, younger generation of mutants and, and really these are the only two, I think n- new characters. I think these are new characters. Um, who have kind of like been brought into Krakoa. And, and I like that this book's mission statement is kind of highlighting 
all of the young mutant characters from throughout like the X-Men history. Um, I, I hope that it continues to do that. Um, so I just, I just really appreciate how much this book is doing compared to the other books. Uh, Vince, you want to poke holes first? Or you want me to? Oh, I'm not. I'm not going to poke any holes because, well, that that's not that's not true. Hang I have, on, I have one hole I'm going to poke. I just think that the 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 Brisson stuff that takes place in uh, what is it? Hang on, in Midwest. Yeah, yeah, Nebraska. Yeah, um, I I just think that that is less interesting to me. Uh, and less entertaining than Hickman's stuff, which is which is so bonkers and funny. I would agree. I would agree with that definitely. I would disagree with that uh, very strongly. You think it's the opposite? I think it's but the Hickman stuff bores the shit out. Oh of me. man! Uh, there was one line that I was really smiling. It's when uh, Magic is like, "Who here wants to make out?" <laughs> and then she was yeah. like, "Sorry, the options were fuck or fight," and I'm whatever like that smiled. Other than, first of all, I don't care about this cast. This is this is a big blind spot in my ex reading, mm. so I have no interest in any of these characters, and I feel like there's been nothing in these issues to give me any reason to care about these characters. Whereas I had read Precious Little Beak before this, but I'm I am like so into Beak and Angel mm. right now because I feel like Briston's done a really good job of telling me why I should care, and Hickman has not told me why I should give a shit about any of these other characters. Oh man, that's interesting. This is our most divisive book. Like, yeah, it's yeah, weird. Zach, I, don't, Zach I don't, loves get it. it. Like, and Brian and I like different parts of it. It's like I, I can go. Th- like, I literally love all of this. I love. Yeah. Like, I already said, I love the Shi'ar stuff. So all, I'm all in for that. I really love the, the like, I think a, a dynamic in in the in fiction that I like, and this probably uh, stems from how much. Uh, Boy Meets World I watched growing up where are the two best <laughs> friends and the and the significant other mm-hmm. dynamic and and you wow. have that with with Sam and 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 Roberto and, and, um, and yeah yeah that you got it's, it's that scenario of all time is two guys a girl in a pizza place <laughs> never watched it but sure um, he's too he's too young for that Brian. that's true that's true um and yeah, the magic bit so good. Um, all the stuff with uh, with Cipher is good, I think. Um, the the stuff with Mondo and Chamber is good. It's just all good. That whole thing is good. Okay. And then yes, Beak Beak and Angel and the other arc are very good. If you were as much of a Grant Morrison fan as I am and had read all of New X Men, Brian, then uh, you would really appreciate them. You just read all and, of the X Men recently, didn't you? <laughs> yes. So fine. But I've read it. Maybe if you were making better use of your time instead of reading very boring JSA comics. <laughs> Some of them have been boring. I'll give you that. Um, <laughs> but here's I, I think I just figured out sort of what my main issue is with, with the Hickman part of this book, which is that I feel like all the other Dawn of X titles regardless if you are familiar with the characters or not, put out a really strong premise as to what the book is doing. Like Excalibur is doing this. Marauders is doing this. And I feel like for the New Mutants in space part, it's, hey, it's the New Mutants. 
there's no like overarching thing there for me to grab onto. And so because I don't care about these characters, I'm just feeling like okay, well I don't I don't really care. Well, yeah, I mean I so I do think that the the overarching theme of this book is like it is the new mutants not specifically just like this incarnation but like young mutants this is the book about young mutants and just like and it's almost an anthology book about young mutants which i'm i'm in for um but i i do get if you don't care for these characters then you are up a creek so not even i don't care for them i just don't know them really you know so give me a reason to root for them Uh, i don't really have that yet they're the x-men (laughs) <laughs> well that does it for our rankings uh next month we got a bunch of new books to talk about so this will be fun uh thanks for listening folks and now back to kevin <laughs>